say, kids, what time is it? Time for another episode of Brio TV, the podcast. I'm Bill Brio, and today's episode is brought to you by Super Channel, Hollywood Suite, and CTV. Well, hi again. Thanks for listening to another episode of Brio TV, the podcast. Now, today we're going to talk about, again, the 1972 Hockey Summit Series. And I know what you're thinking. You're going, Bill, we did this already. You talked about this. We heard a couple of podcasts. Yes, that is true. Uh, September was the 50th anniversary, and turns out there were two uh, main documentaries that were made, one for the CBC, which we talked about on an earlier episode. And now this one that's going to appear on Super Channel on December 27th. It's already toured different parts of Canada uh, back in September, and uh, now it's coming to Super Channel. And uh, it is called Icebreaker, the 72 Summit Series. Uh, it's a 90-minute documentary and why it's different in that it comes from the perspective of the diplomacy side. So it's basically based on a book uh, that uh, was written by Gary J. Smith. He was um, he's a former ambassador, but he was working in the Soviet embassy in Canada. He's a Canadian who spoke Russian, uh, and he has the inside take on everything that went into getting this thing to happen. I mean, this was the Cold War. Uh, you had uh, Pierre Trudeau was Prime Minister of Canada. He was anxious to uh, establish some sort of detente with the Soviet Union. He figured two northern countries, we both love hockey. Let's figure something out. Let's avoid nuclear war. And so he was anxious to uh, maybe find it in through hockey. Uh, and uh, Gary was uh, someone working in the embassy, a young beer league hockey playing guy. And uh, so he knew the folks there, and he knew that uh, the Russians had some interest in this as well. Uh, and he's going to, you know, talk about that definitely in the documentary and in his book, which is called Ice War Diplomat, Hockey Meets Cold War Politics at the 1972 Summit Series. Now, we're going to hear next from Robbie Hart. Now, Robbie is the director of Icebreaker. Uh, he's made several documentaries, uh, Turning 16, an eight-part series on teenagers, Rainmakers, a great 13-part series on human rights activists, uh, many other things. He's looked at the early days of the Montreal Expos. But um, this uh, is a hockey documentary, and he, uh, he will tell you how he got the idea coming up right now. My guest today is a documentary filmmaker who has a wonderful new project that uh, I, I got a chance to see uh, the other night in Toronto at the Hockey Hall of Fame. Perfect setting. Uh, it's called uh, Icebreaker, the 1972 Summit Series. It is about, of course, the, uh, the fabulous clash between the Soviet Union and Canada, one I uh, lived and breathed uh, every second of in uh, 1972. Great pleasure to talk to Robbie Hart. Robbie, great to see you again. Excellent. It's nice to see you and nice to be on your podcast. Thanks so much, Bill. 
No, my pleasure. Listen, congratulations on Icebreaker. Uh, it's a wonderful film. I think people will really enjoy this. Uh, and um, you told a great story the other day at the Hockey Hall of Fame. It was a great gathering there. Yvonne Cornwayer, who was the great Montreal Canadian uh, captain, was in attendance and uh, others. Uh, but you talked about how you came to this idea to make this particular series. And I believe it began with a, a book that you saw, you started to read in uh, about two years before the film was made, right? Exactly. No, it's true. It's an Ontario, an Ontario born author named Roy McSkimming uh, released a book for the 25th anniversary, uh, which was about 1997. And uh, the book was published then, titled The Cold War. Fantastic photo of Phil Esposito, nose-to-nose with a Soviet player. That's the cover of the book. It caught my attention completely. I, I, you know, I wasn't actually looking for a book. It was in a pile of books on a street corner in Montreal where I live, in a, in a, like a take-me type of thing, like free books. And I picked up the book, and I believed at the time that I knew a lot about 72. And I know a lot about Canadian history and the importance of the Summit Series. And so I started reading the book and, you know, 27 pages into the book, I realized I don't know very much. <laughs> and that there's like a much more complex, layered, uh, rich story uh, that took place on the ice as well as off the ice. And so the more I read into that book, the more I realized that there's this untold story. And then it sort of just began, snowballed. I mean, I... I, I spoke to my kids and asked them if they knew who Paul Henderson was. <laughs> and it was like, there was like a blank look on their face. Uh, you know, maybe yes, maybe no. And I just started asking people questions. And I realized a whole generation of Canadians aren't really in tune with what took place 50 years ago. At the time, it was 48 years ago. So the light went on for me. It said, let's, uh, well, the 50th anniversary is coming up. What a great, um, you know, timing to, to, to do something on this subject. So I had the motivation and I had the timing and then things just, you know, went, fell into place from there. Yeah. The, the story that you tell, it's really a political thriller, isn't it? And, uh, that, that's uh, an, am- an amazing angle into it. Um, I believe that, uh, you made a call at this point to, uh, the, the famous Canadian author, uh, McGregor there, Mr. Uh, uh, Roy. Greg- yeah, Roy, and uh, he he had a suggestion for you as to who you might want to talk to, right? Exactly. In fact, the first person we spoke to, I spoke to, was Peter Raymond, the co-producer, and Peter Peter, who runs uh, White Pine Pictures out of Toronto, a very established documentary company. We've been friends, uh, professional colleagues for many years. We hadn't ever collaborated together, but I I felt that this story was such a big national story that it would be you know appropriate for maybe a co-production t- between a Montreal and Ontario. Toronto-based companies, uh, and that, you know, Peter, I knew he has contacts in the NHL and in the hockey world. So first call was to Peter. Peter then connected me to Roy McGregor, who's a friend of his, who is like the Wayne Gretzky of hockey writing. Mm-hmm. You know, he's read more books and articles on hockey than anyone else. And in the first conversation with Roy, he said, well, you got to meet Gary Smith. He's writing a book uh, about his days back in Moscow. He's, he's kind of the untold story, the diplomat behind-the-scenes guy who was the architect of bringing this thing together and, and keeping it from not falling apart. Uh, so it, within a week of actually picking up that book on the Montreal Street Corner, I had been in touch with Raymond, then McGregor, and then Gary Smith. And the four of us have remained a, a team since that day, basically. 
Yeah, that's fantastic. It's a really uh, inspirational story. McGregor, of course, is the Gretzky of uh, hockey writing. I think he's written 70 hockey books. He's written more books than I've read. Uh, it's, it's pretty impressive. Um, but then you meet Gary Smith and this guy. Oh, my goodness. Talk about off the charts. Fascinating. Um, he was there in Moscow in the early 70s at the embassy. And he spoke Russian and he's Canadian. And he's written a wonderful book called Ice War Diplomat. Hockey Meets Cold War Politics at the 72 Summit Series. And this book really became um, sort of the touchstone for you in terms of this documentary, right? Exactly. Very much so. In fact, he was still writing the book two years ago, so I only got the, the first chapter or two. But it was more than enough just meeting him and hear, seeing how he spoke and seeing his take on the whole thing, you know, that he was mandated by Trudeau, that they were looking to, to um, you know, Trudeau father, Pierre, and right. that they were looking to, to, you know, foster detente with the Soviets to break the ice. That's the, one of the reasons why the film is called Icebreaker, right? Um, in fact, we can get back to this later on in the conversation, but uh, Icebreaker has five meanings for me in the film. So we yeah. can, you can always circle back on that. But yeah, um, Gary was... Uh, was in the embassy in 71, was there when Trudeau and Margaret arrived in May of 71. That's like a year, almost and a half before the summit series, which was like kind of the beginning of the thawing of relations between Canada and the Soviet Union. And it was the notion that the two countries, uh, you know, should be fostering exchanges, cultural and diplomatic. And Gary's mandate was to, to push for sports. And, uh, Lo and behold, he was able to uh, to to bring this to you know bring this to a higher level and make it happen, along with many others, of course. Yeah, there's a great picture in his book. He's he describes himself as a beer league hockey player, and I guess he is a bunch of the diplomats. They had a little bit of a team over there. There's a great picture of him, literally with a case of Molson under his arm on the ice with his hockey equipment. Yeah. Uh, it really brings it all home, right? Yeah, the Moscow Maple Leafs were the name of the team, right? Moscow. They play every Saturday against bureau- Soviet bureaucrats, you know, uh, pick up hockey outdoors. And it was a way of, for them to, um, you know, to, uh, to break, you know, improve relations between Canadians and, and Soviets. And, you know, the story of him with the snowman is fascinating. That's one of the, you know, he calls this guy the snowman. He, he's reading at his desk, you know, uh, in, his, in his embassy desk, his Vestia, which is the weekly newspaper. So boring, everything about, you know, brake production and truck production. And you don't even know if it's true or false. So he would never read the front of the newspaper. He'd start with the sports and the back. And so he's reading the back of his Vestia and he sees this story by this guy called Boris Fedosov his nickname, The Snowman. And in his article, he says that it's boring now international hockey without Canadians. It's time that the Soviets play the best. And Gary, the light went off in Gary's head saying, wow, if this is in a government newspaper, it has to have been authorized. I mean, he couldn't have written it. It would have been censured, you know? You can't just say what you feel, right? You've got to have approval to write what you're writing, he's saying. So Gary jumps up from his desk, you know, and this is, of course, all in the film, this this whole scene I'm describing. And uh, runs over to see his his partner Hancock, and be- lo and behold, there's a meeting uh, at the Soviet embassy with lots of vodka and caviar, and this article under under Gary Smith's arm saying, "What's what's the story here, uh, Snowman? Is this true?" And that was the the beginning of the diplomatic involvement and negotiations to get this off the ground, and that's a year before it happened. We'll be back with more from Robbie Hart in just a minute. Like you were 
look at my life, I'm a lot like you were. Well, Super Channel continues to keep spirits merry and bright this season with its annual Heart and Home holiday movie event. New festive titles continue to air every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night throughout December, right up until December 23rd. This season includes 26 movies new to Super Channel, including 12 festive films making their Canadian broadcast premieres. Among those movies is Baking All the Way, starring Yannick Besson, and also featuring Corey Lee, Colin Mockery, Deb McGrath, and Jane Eastwood. They're all always welcome. Other Super Channel festive films feature such familiar faces as Danica McKellar, Lacey Chabert, Chad Michael Murray, Jill Wagner, and our old pal Art Hindle. All movies will air commercial-free and will be available on Super Channel On Demand throughout the holiday season and beyond. Super Channel is available via most cable providers, as well as streaming via Amazon Prime Video and on Apple TV+. And here he is again, documentary filmmaker Robbie Hart. It's amazing, isn't it, Robbie, how um, sometimes the universe just drops a, a clue uh, mm-hmm. It's like you're saying about this article, but even about you picking up this book and reading it. Uh, yeah. it, it the thing is, though, you have to be listening, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, you have to, yeah. You know, timing and opportunity. It's very interesting the, the way you're framing it, because, yes, it is. It's like uh, serendipitous or alchemy or, you know, alignment of planets. It's like, yeah. why did I pick up that book that day? And the light went on for me. And then, the, you know, things... Sometimes things just go because they're meant to happen. In Hebrew, it's called beshert, which is, means meant to be. Uh, yeah. So it, it was providential that I found the book, that I called Peter, that within a week, Roy, then Gary, and then, you know, it's never really stopped. And, and in fact, Gary and I, with his book and with the film, we've become like a tag team <laughs> traveling across Canada with, uh, you know, with the film, with the book, and, and sort of the filmmaker and the author or the filmmaker hockey player, because I'm a hockey player as well, and him, him being the diplomat and author. So we've become a nice team and uh, have been able to uh, to really make a, a big hit of this, if you like, over the past three months. It's four months it's, now, really. It's a very cool story. Um, I love, too, in the book how, um, you know, uh, to, to Gary, Gary Smith, uh, he knew Kampala and Bader. These were the two... And it's funny, those names, you never forget them, but they were the East German referees that bedeviled the uh, Team Canada, called all kinds of penalties. Uh, but he basically recognized them as KGB guys, right? He knew them from that as, as spies, basically, who were refereeing this international hockey summit. Crazy. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean... You know, the, the four games that were in Canada were, were uh, refed uh, by NHL, uh, I believe, NHL uh, referees. Yeah. Then when they went to Europe, the four games in Moscow were International Ice Hockey Federation uh, refs, and, and a couple of them were, like, basically Soviet uh, bureaucrats. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I mean, there are so many stories um, that uh, didn't make the film, uh, but that are in the book, or some that aren't even in the book, but are in the film. I mean, so... 
You can pick and choose. I mean, anything, uh, anything goes. Well, let's talk about some of the people that are in the film. One of them, you mentioned Brian Conacher. He was the uh, color analyst, I believe, on the hockey broadcast. Uh, Foster Hewitt came out of retirement to do the play-by-play. Uh, but um, Conacher, I remember, you know, I was 15 and in high school and listening to and watching it all. Uh, he was such a terrific uh, analyst uh, really brought it alive, but very knowledgeable. And I know he was criticized by a lot of Canadians for kind of be playing it down the middle, but boy, he was right on. Uh, how did you end up getting in touch with him as being part of the documentary? Well, I'm glad you raised Brian. I mean, to me, Brian uh, Conacher is part of the whole landscape of people that I wanted to talk to. Uh, voices that are directly uh, intimately involved with what took place were actually in Moscow. Yeah. And I include in that group Terry Mosher, the political cartoonist, uh, you know, Times Magazine, Bob Lewis, you know, Ron Brebner, who was the advertising consultant. I mean, these are all kind of like secondary characters, but they were all intimately involved. We're all there for the whole thing. And of course, Gary Smith. Brian, you know, to his credit, played against the Soviets in 64. I mean, yeah. let's, let's not forget that he he was on one of those B teams, right, that Canada would put out there with players that were former NHLers or, you know, AHLers or, or university players, you know, not the, not the best, people that were on the sidelines of professional hockey. So he knew firsthand how good they were. He, he played against them in Sapporo in 64. Uh, and then he played against them again somewhere you know, he was on the Leafs in 67. Let's not forget that. Yeah. He has a Stanley Cup ring. <laughs> uh, so Brian Conacher in 1972, you know, when this thing comes together, starts to say, well, you know, these guys are good and they're going to give us a handful, you know, and it's not going to be a, a walk in the park. And, you know, he got, he got you know, labeled as a commie, right? And, right. As, as a communist sympathizer because he was just calling it as it is. These guys are really good and you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. You know? No, so, he, he's, he's great very, in the documentary. Yeah, he's very he's very knowledgeable, very astute, and his language and his vocabulary is, is bang on. And, and he's he's very um, uh, I don't know monumental in his way of, of, of delivery. You know, very good. I yeah. was very impressed with him. Part of a very famous family too, of course. Yes, uh, of course. You know, um, the other person who uh, we don't hear from much these days, Margaret Trudeau, who was there on the scene in Moscow and in. Toronto, Montreal, these other rinks. Um, uh, how did you manage to bring her to uh, the documentary? Well, I mean, it was part of the, the 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 idea that you know Pierre was behind it. He he was kind of the you know the, the, the it was his it was his baby in a sense to get this thing happening. You know, and and Gary Smith is kind of like on the ground guy who who uh, made it happen along with many others. And so to have Trudeau represented by Margaret, who was there, uh, was, was kind of a nice nod uh, to, 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 to Pierre. And uh, Peter Raymond knows Margaret from a previous uh, work together, and uh, we invited her, and uh, she was wonderful. She lives in Montreal, and uh, it, was, it, was, it was a tremendous interview with her. I mean, uh, she, she um, you know, comes at it from a more of a, a naive perspective, I'd say, but she brings her, her color and her, her name and her, you know, her her fashion to, to, to the story. And it was, it's nice to have her as part of it for sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Wayne Gretzky is another one. <laughs> oh my like, goodness. Yeah, no, I mean, Gretzky's now, uh, he's doing commentary for a U.S. Uh, cable uh, sports network, but uh, he's always been very, when you listen to him talk hockey, man, oh man, he's not just uh, 
great on the ice. He knows that game, and it's wonderful to have him describe this particular series, which meant so much to him uh, as a youngster, right? Exactly. And in fact, I was really looking for somebody who was my age. I was 12 at the time, and Gretzky and I are the same age pretty much to the day. And um, <clears throat> he looked, he watched it as a 12-year-old. And then, of course, becomes the greatest hockey player of all time and actually plays against the Soviets in, in the Canada Cups starting in 81. So, I mean, he, he has a first-hand knowledge, and he knows the Russian invasion. He knows the European invasion, how the Europeans and the Russians influenced the game of hockey, you know, which is actually my second icebreaker. You know, the, the, the 72 Summit Series was not only like an icebreaker on geopolitical terms, but it was an icebreaker in terms of how the, the game of hockey is actually played. And Gretzky, you know, really brings that into perspective um, in, in the film, along with many others, of course. And uh, he's just so eloquent, uh, Wayne. I mean, uh, his story, too, about being actually Ukrainian-Russian and that if his grandfather hadn't migrated, he would have been playing against Canada <laughs> that, <laughs> for the Russians. That's fascinating. It is fascinating. Wow. When he talks about that and you can see how uh, he he's literally sort of realizing it and thinking it as he's saying it to you on camera, uh, it is a mind blower that that uh, yeah he, he quite easily could have been playing for the Russians. Uh, he, in the film, he says, you know, what would have happened if my grandfather hadn't migrated in 1950 yeah. to Winnipeg? He says, maybe I would have been playing with you know Fedosov and Larionov against Canada. I mean, who knows? You know, that, what thank, a God, thank God that didn't happen. Um, yeah. Back with more about the Team Canada heroics from 1972 in just a minute. CTV has everything on viewers' wish list this holiday season. Let's start with Jan, alone for the holidays. Jan Arden is back with a Christmas episode of her comedy series. On it, she'll sing some holiday favorites with special guests Michael Boublier and Brian Adams. See it Friday, December 9th with an encore Christmas Eve. Then there's the holiday baking series, Cross Canada Bake Off. Watch as Mary Berg and Andrew Hahn judge holiday-themed cakes from bakers across Canada. The four-part series begins December 15th on CTV. Another chef goes looking for Santa Claus's house in Gordon Ramsay's road trip, Christmas Vacation. The December 17th special finds Ramsay and pals deep in a winter wonderland. Watch to see if he shouts obscenities at any of Santa's elves. Now, if you missed the 118th annual Santa Claus Parade, you can stream it online anytime on ctv.ca or at the CTV app. Hosts Melissa Grello, Kelsey McEwen, and Tyrone Edwards are along for the ride, and John Legend is among the international acts. Finally, CTV is the home of Christmas-themed episodes of everything from the Goldbergs, the Connors, Call Me Cat, the Masked Singer, and even the Lego Masters Holiday Bricktacular. Get into them all this month on CTV, ctv.ca, and the CTV app. Once more, Robbie Hart. I, uh, a buddy of mine, I worked at the Toronto Sun. One of the sports editors there, Scott Morrison, wrote a book on Team Canada as well. And in his book, he mentioned a bit about the politics, just in that internally in Canada, you know, 
uh, uh, Alan Eagleson, who's part of your documentary, is staunch conservative. And then Trudeau uh, was dropping pucks and all of this, this, and this seemed to bother Eagleson a lot. <laughs> Didn't want Trudeau on the plane. And even later on, when there was sort of a victory parade for Team Canada, uh, I think Serge Savard pulled him up onto the flip of the one of the floats or, you know, one of the cars, just because he was kind of very involved in this thing really happening, wasn't he? Yeah, you're talking about Pierre now, right? Pierre Trudeau, yeah. Yeah, of course he was. Yes. Yeah, no, I mean, it, 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 it was a real Team Canada when you look at it. I mean, you've got, you know, you got Montreal Canadians, you've got, you know, East and West, French and English. You know, you have liberal politicians and conservative politicians. I mean, there, there's a, it's a real mixed bag uh, when, you, when you look at the whole uh, group of people that came, you know, that came into the tent. And that's one of, that's one of the other icebreakers. Uh, it's, it's my fifth icebreaker, in fact. The, the fact that, you know, the series was like a defining moment for Canadian nationalism. Uh, and Canadian uh, identity and our relationship to the national game and a sense of pride. It, it sort of brought all, Can- all Canadians together under the same tent. Uh, and so, you know, that's how you have Eagleson and Trudeau uh, or even Harold Bar- Ballard and others brought into, into the same room under the same tent, uh, rooting for the same cause in a sense. And so that it was a unique experience in that, in that regard. It didn't matter where you were from, how long you lived in Canada, whether you were young or old. I mean, Everybody got galvanized uh, by this thing, and uh, yeah. it was it was a, a defining moment for the country for sure. Well, even at the end of the documentary, you've got uh, Paul Henderson leaping into Yvonne Cornway's arms. Uh, you know, this sort of a unifying thing of the Canadian two solitudes, French and English. Right? It was uh, a very yeah. iconic moment for sure. Roman Gregor goes on camera at that moment saying, how beautiful is that? We're forever young, are his words. We're forever young. When we see Henderson leaping into the arms of Cornway, an English-Canadian leaping into the arms of a French-Canadian, how perfect is that? Yeah. You know, I, I know the lines of the film, so that's pretty much what we hear and see. And it is, and it is a, a great moment. And Terry Mosher, you know, well, first Frank Lennon, let's give him credit. Frank Lennon, the, the, the iconic Canadian photographer, yep. uh, took, took the photo, right? He was there in Moscow on the ice right there. I actually purchased and acquired from the Lennon estate about a thousand photos. Wow. There's about, there's about 50 in the film. There's a lot, a lot of still photos. Maybe you don't notice, but there's a lot of stills. In the oh, film. no, yeah, no, no, there are. And, and, and I love all, yeah, not only the still photos, and you break down Henderson's goal move by move at the end, which is really cool. But um, there's uh, this wonderful, crisp, clear black and white footage. Yeah. That yeah. was not in the other documentary. Now, I understand that that was uh, something you obtained uh, uh, from Russian filmmakers. Is that true? Yeah, very true. In, in fact, when I was in Moscow, which was six months before the war, in fact, four months before the war, in October 21, um, we were really lucky to be there. And we were only there because of uh, Trechak, Vladislav Trechak. And we, you know, my intention was to have the Russian perspective played out yeah. in the film. And the Russian perspective, as you saw, is beautifully uh, portrayed. You know, we yeah. really get to uh, hear from them and understand how they lived it and, and how they experienced it and, and how they feel today. And uh, they're wonderful people. And Trecek is really the one behind it, uh, getting our visas and giving us access to all these locations. And one of my goals was this, what, what is there that out there in Russia, in Moscow, in terms of archives? And there wasn't much. A lot of it had been burnt and destroyed and lost. It's, it's oh. quite something. So there's this one 12-minute film 
that which I acquired. Uh, the, the one you're referring to, and I used a lot of it in, in, in Icebreaker. Yeah, uh, and it's fantastic footage. It's yeah, it's shot, it's shot on film. I guess it's 16 millimeter. It's it's you know it's got that old look, uh, but high end, and it's shot at ice level. You know, it's it's a lot of it's on ice level. Yeah, so it's not. It's like at the benches and right on the ice. It's not like up like play by play. It's really fascinating stuff, and uh, people always bring that up. I'm glad you're bringing it up. It's it's beautiful. It's beautiful archives. And when I found it, it was like, okay, this is a treasure. You know, this is, this is great. We got to, we got to buy all of it and see what we yeah. can do. It, it, as you say, it looks like the cameraman standing on the face-off circle. You can see <laughs> Esposito's head and it's like, holy cow, how'd they get that perspective? It's yeah. dynamic. It's really amazing and adds a lot to it. Um, yeah. Now, what you did not have access to, I guess, was the footage that was restored that was used in the other documentary um, uh, was that just that, that they wanted to use that exclusively, I guess, or there was no access to that other footage? Uh, you're, you're talking about like CBC CTV footage? Uh, yeah, just- the, yeah. Well, not, not so much the video that's, that was on that viewers saw of the series, but I guess there was some uh, film 16 millimeter or whatever that was also shot in color. Um, from what I recall from the series that aired earlier in September on CBC, yeah. They yeah. they used some of that and it was a little yeah. different. Exactly. Well, because because we knew that the, the Dryden project was happening and that ours was happening, and there was kind of a mutual agreement that we wouldn't be tampering or stepping on each other's toes. And I was going to go one way, and they were going to go the other way. And they had access to the players, and uh, I would only be using player stuff from previous. So there was kind of like a separation of what we would do and not do, yeah. and uh, that, that's that's that explains it. Robbie, it worked out great. If there were 10 documentaries on this series, I would watch every second of every one of them. Uh, you know, this means so much to, you mentioned you were 12, I was 15, and um, I have a, you know, uh, there were six of us in my parents' house who took off from high school and watched it and went crazy with 34 seconds left. Uh, you know, so it's a very meaningful, and I've already, I'm glad you have the ad representative on your doc because I've argued with CTV, they claimed in 2010 that the uh, the, the Canadian victory in the uh, Olympics was the most watched uh, um, moment of Canadian television. And I said, that's nonsense. I know that it was very crudely counted back in 72, but you could hear a pin drop on every street in Canada uh, while that program was on. So I, I was fascinated that they were charging so much for advertising in 72 for that series back then, it really put perspective to it. You know, for sure. It was 1,500 on a Saturday night for a hockey night in Canada, uh, which was kind of the going rate, you know, for 30 seconds. And yeah. all of a sudden now he's, he's, they're asking for, you know, $10,000 for 30 seconds. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the Ford and whoever the sponsors were at that time were saying, you know, how could this be? And in the end, the, the the numbers were even greater than what the they, they got a good deal for what it was they, a steal. Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. It, it would be like two hundred and fifty thousand today or something. Oh, yeah, like yeah. If, you, if you tried to figure it out, we'll be back with more from Robbie Hart in just a minute. The sun is getting high, and all the houses passing by look just the same. Click in the 
Here we are again with Emily Gagne from Hollywood Suite. Emily, can you believe it? It's December already. What What's the big news? I think there's something special happening at Hollywood Suite this December, right? You got that right, Bill. It is our annual free preview. We are free nationwide with uh, different cable providers across Canada. Uh, and, and the free preview runs from December 1st to January 5th, so the whole holiday season. Wow, let me get this straight. It's 100% free. I mean, it's already such a bargain, but now people don't pay anything? They don't pay anything. You just tune in. You can watch on our four channels, the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, or you can explore our on-demand selections. We have like hundreds of movies available there. Uh, It's quite a treat. We like to, you know, give people the gift of free uh, at the holiday season. Who doesn't love that? So tell me, what can people find under their tree then this month on Hollywood Suite to watch? Yeah, of course, we've got lots of like festive favorites, you know, stuff like Meet Me in St. Louis, Fiddler on the Roof, a personal favorite of mine, Black Christmas, Gremlins, Love Actually, The Holiday Carol, you know, all those all those iconic holiday films. Well, that's pretty good. That's all this month on Hollywood Suite. And uh, listen, have yourself a wonderful Christmas season, Emily. Thank you. Same to you, Bill. Okay, take care. And here he is again, documentary filmmaker Robbie Hart. Let me just to sum up with, uh, I want to talk a bit about Terry Mosher. Uh, people who we may know him best as Aislin, the great editorial cartoonist at the Montreal Gazette. Uh, fascinating story. He's in Moscow. He's covering this series for the Gazette. He's pretending to be a photographer <laughs> because they felt the Russians were would be more suspicious of somebody drawing the thing. But um, you use him in a wonderful way on your series as well, don't you? Yeah, no, Terry. Terry was a, was a great uh, a great find or partner for the film. I mean, just you know, I I heard that he had done twenty four drawings. He had been commissioned by Maclean's in the Gazette, and he's always been a hero of mine. And uh, you too. know, I, I just how could you not be a hero, a fan of Terry Mosher, Aislin? Yeah. And uh, when I heard that he had done twenty four drawings. Uh, I, I called him up and I said, listen, I'm, I'm thinking of doing this doc on 72 and I hear you have these drawings. Can, can I come over and have a coffee? And, you know, that day it just happened. He, I, he, we shook hands. He'll be in the film. I signed him to an exclusive as well because the other project wanted him. Um, and, uh, yeah, and uh, <laughs> he, he, we got his drawings. And, you know, he, he, is, he also tells the story so well. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Oh, he, he does. He, and and then we eight of his drawings are actually in the film. And some yeah, of them no, they're great. Out. There's a there's the Mount yeah. Rushmore of hockey shot. There's people you can buy these posters and Terry's book, by the way, uh, yeah. Montreal to Moscow, yeah. 1972 Summit Series. Part of the proceeds goes to women's hockey. It's a tremendous story there. Very generous. Um, but uh, and, the, and the story that he was there as a photographer. So he's down at the other end of the rake with his camera trained on Trechak, uh, uh, and he missed the goal, <laughs> which is for yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he was focused on, on Dryden. Yeah, exactly. Right. He was thinking the Russians are going to pull it off. Yeah, score on. Um, all right. Listen, let's just remind people the, the documentary is called Icebreaker uh, and it's uh, airing. It's going to premiere on Super Channel Fuse on uh, December the 27th. You can see it there and you can stream it all uh, afterwards on demand. Uh, congratulations, uh, Robbie, again on a wonderful movie. Uh, I'm just going to sum, uh, end by asking a couple of quick questions, everybody on the podcast. What are you streaming now? What are you watching on television? Uh, are you asking me this? I'm sorry. Yes, I'm asking you for sure. Yeah. 
well, well I, I, I like to watch actually live events. So I, I tend to watch sports, to be honest, and news. I mean, I, uh, you know, and, and classic films. I mean, if that's what you're asking me what I do, yeah. I mean, I love, I, you know, I'm, we're going to watch Argentina versus France and the World Cup. And I'll be following the Habs and I'll be following NFL football. And then I'll be following, uh, you know, late night television in, in the U.S. Usually those are where my go-tos, you know, uh, in terms of what I watch in terms of you, television. You and I think alike. Um, what was the show when you were a youngster? Does, was there a TV show that you used to run home to see after school? What was your favorite show as a child? <laughs> I love that. Well, you know, we used to run home to watch the Flintstones at noon. <laughs> right. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> they were on. I mean, in, our, in, our, in those days, there were only three channels anyway. So it's like yeah. you didn't have that much choice. But if you go, went home for lunch, the, the Flintstones were on at noon. But I, mean, I loved All in the Family. That was a that was a marker for me. I mean, Archie Bunker in, in, in 71, 72, 73, those, that type of show, MASH as well. Those, those define my youth uh, yeah. very much so, you know. But I mean, all the all the great sitcoms, too, of the day, you know, Beverly Hillbillies and Gilligan's Island and all these retro, you know, sitcoms, <laughs> <laughs> silly sitcoms, they all define my youth. There's no question. I mean, they were fantastic. Uh, me and too. And they're still looking at that today. Um, I'd love well, to ask you uh, a question, Bill. Tell me, tell me one moment, uh, and then I'd, if I can, I'll tell you one moment that I really loved about what I did. But what was one of your favorite moments in the film? For me? Yeah. Um, it's hard to narrow it down. You know, I loved um, just the way you told the story uh, with the overhead um, shots of a rink across Canada. You had, it was just a beautiful way that you showed this landscape and then you'd have kids playing on the ice and there's a breakaway toward the end of uh, uh, one guy uh, on a huge pond of on a lake uh, skating away and then you get back to Ron McLean but um, I, I'd have a hard time narrowing it down Robbie really it, it, it's just a wonderful um, the stories are there'd be 10 of them and, and Gretzky's talk about his um, his grandfather certainly stands out as well well, that's cool, Bill. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure being on your show. Uh, and uh, for me, it was it was uh, being in Luzhniki uh, ice rink in Moscow. You know, realizing that 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 place actually was the was was the seat uh, was was the location for half the series. I mean, I didn't really think about it that way. But I mean, the Forum, Maple Leaf Gardens, Winnipeg, you know, Vancouver. But then four games were played in this one exact location and, it, and it's identical it hasn't changed it, it's it's almost That's- like a fact and that blew me away and so when i got walked in there for the first time I, I really wanted to film it properly and as you saw in the film i i'm shooting the chandeliers and the, and the marble and it's all this soviet stalinist uh, retro uh, architecture and design and you know to have trechak there uh, that was the golden moment for me you know uh, on the ice in front of the his goal the crease where henderson scored and having him recreate the last oh. minute of game 8 to me that was like okay no one's ever going to do this that's for sure <laughs> no one's no. going to ever do this a great move do uh, they still have the giant red light behind the nets for, uh... oh no that wasn't well no <laughs> it wasn't there when i was there that's for sure <laughs> But they and did they take the netting down? I hope they have glass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was no netting there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Things have modernized a bit. It is a mind blower, Robbie, that you would have to build and recreate that place to just step in and find that it's just preserved like a museum. Yeah. What a break for a filmmaker. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, you, you, you get it exactly. It was a golden moment in documentary make filmmaking. You you dream of those moments, and, and I got one of them, and that's what makes Icebreaker so special too. Yeah. Congratulations. Icebreaker's fantastic. I got one last question. Oh, cool. 
your favorite all-time TV theme song? <laughs> I love this. I love these questions. You're throwing me for curveball. TV theme song. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. You're stumping me there. I mean, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't know what to say, to be honest. Um, it would be probably no. Oh, Beverly Hillbillies, why not? <laughs> yeah, no, you can sing along with it. That's a good choice. Yeah. I was going to say, you mentioned All in the Family and MASH, a lot of good songs right there. Did you grow up in Montreal, Robbie? Yeah, I spent actually a, a good part of my youth in Montreal. I was there for the first seven years of my life. We lived outside of Canada for five years. In fact, I wasn't in Canada in 72. I was living in South Florida. I was the only, only kid on my street that had a hockey net and sticks. <laughs> we were living, I lived in South Florida for three years, actually. I was a very good soccer player before I was a good hockey player. Well, it was on PBS in the States. Did you watch it on PBS? No, I, I wasn't watching it. No, I wasn't watching it. I was following it like in the newspaper and, the, and you know, the next day type of thing, the Miami Herald. I, I, I really wasn't, uh, you know, it was, it was strange. I mean, in 1972, in September, that was already my second year living in South Florida. So it was a, a bit of a curveball in terms of, but I knew it was happening completely. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I played, there was no rinks in Florida, but we, we played ball hockey every day. Um, and, and I got all these kids, uh, Cuban kids, <laughs> to learn. I had hockey sticks and we, we, were, we were, they all, they all learned how to play hockey. <laughs> did, ball did, hockey. Did you get a chance to skate when you were over in Moscow? Uh, no, actually that was, a, that was something I wanted to do, but it was, it was just, time was not, uh, Time was not on our side for that. We just had to stick to the. Uh, but I was on the ice <laughs> with the, you know, yeah, on the ice on the surface of the ice at uh, Luzniki in, in, in with Trechak. So that, oh. that that's the golden moment. That is sacred ground. Lucky yes, you. Yes, exactly. Hollow well, thank you for, for sharing that experience uh, with Icebreaker again, December 27th. Robbie, thank you so much for your time today. Congrats and uh, enjoy uh, the, the rest of your work. Uh, let me know when your next project comes up. Love to talk to you again. That's fantastic. Everybody stay tuned with Super Channel because that's where we're going to be able to watch it in Canada. And of course, on other platforms down the road in, in, uh, in 2023, including sales uh, to Europe and the United States. There's, there's a lot coming still. Fantastic. Okay, I'll pass it on. Thank you again. Excellent. That was great. Now, Robbie Hart uh, had to think about it, but his choice eventually for his all-time favorite TV theme song was the theme to the Beverly Hillbillies. Now, we just heard that. We, we have had that on previously, so I think we can all hum along in the background, but um, let's try something a little different. Let's try one of the great themes from the Canada-Russia hockey series, and that's the, uh, the Soviet National Anthem. If you were uh, somebody who was watching this series in 1972, you heard this at the beginning of every game, and you know what? It kind of, kind of, it's kind of catchy. It kind of caught on. Um, you'll hear in the documentary from some of the Russian players, Trechak, uh, others, who uh, how much they grew to really enjoy hearing the Canadian anthem, and so uh, let's hear a little bit of the Russian or the Soviet national anthem right now.
I'd like to thank once again Phil Hong for producing this podcast. Phil always has his stick on the ice, and he's good in the corners, and uh, he's like Paul Henderson. He comes through at the end. Thank you again, Phil. I'd like to thank Katie Brio for designing the Brio TV website. Uh, I'd like to thank our sponsors. Much appreciated. Thank you, all three. And uh, also all the fine publicists who really help bring all of these interesting people to the podcasts and uh, lead to these wonderful conversations. So thank you, of course, to you, listener. And please leave a like or a review, anything at all, on any platform where you listen to this podcast. I'm Bill Brio. Thanks for listening.